Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create Your Life family, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Before we get started, I wanted to share some exciting information from our sponsor. We only pick people and companies that we think are awesome to bring onto the show, so please support them. As a podcaster, I've spent hours and hours editing, doing show graphics, and much more, and I finally got fed up with losing all of my free time to post-production activities. So I decided to do something about it. And if you are a fellow busy podcaster who would like to just record and have someone else do the dirty work of graphic creation, tagging and uploading your show to your server and in-depth SEO generating show notes, go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and today we have another amazing guest. This one I'm really excited for. Such a down-to-earth person, dynamic human, and somebody that I admire. She is an award-winning journalist, on-camera host, and digital content creator. As deputy editor of The Griot, she reports on the most critical news and issues shaping society and culture, including criminal justice reform, education, politics, and entertainment. Driven by a passion for storytelling and people, she created and hosts the digital video series True Story to profile untold stories of Black America. She has appeared on Power 105's The Breakfast Club, Sirius XM, and Cheddar TV Live, and her writing has been published in the New York Times. In 2018, she was named Emerging Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. She is a graduate of Harvard University and Northwestern University, Medill School of Journalism, where she earned a master's degree in broadcast journalism. Prior to her career in media, she worked in the fields of finance and education policy. She was recently named a game-changing woman in media by Girlboss.com and a rising leader by the Harvard Women's Center. In her free time, she volunteers as a mentor editor for the Op-Ed Project. I'm talking about none other than Miss Natasha S. Alford. Tasha, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. Hey, Create Your Life family. It's so good to be here. Thank you, Kevin. I'm glad we finally made this happen. Yeah, it's been a little while. It's been a little while. (laughs) It's good. We've been talking about this, but we made it happen. Yeah. So, Tosh, I want to jump right in. You're originally from Syracuse. How do you feel like growing up in Syracuse helped you prepare for New York City? Because New York is a lot. 
Big shout out to Syracuse 315. I would say Syracuse was everything. That was really my foundation. A lot of people think of Syracuse, New York. They think of basketball, SU, you know, the Orangemen. Yeah, yeah. And everybody really does love that aspect of it. But Syracuse is really a tale of two cities. This is a town where, you know, there's incredibly high rates of poverty in the inner city. We experienced white flight in the 70s. And what once was a place that was maybe a little bit more diverse is segregated in a lot of ways. But I managed to actually grow up in, I would say, a pretty diverse school for all the schools that I went to. And going to public school in Syracuse showed me just how possible it is to have two different experiences depending on who you are. But it gave me my foundation. I'm really glad that I'm from there. And in terms of like preparing me for New York, if anything, I'd probably give my family more credit for that. Mm. Like instilling in me just a sense of drive and feeling like there's more to the world. You know, sometimes people grow up and like they never leave their hometown. And it's not that you should leave your hometown and never go back, but you should see other things. There's a a wide world. And when you go out in the world, it changes your perspective. You know, we take a lot of things for granted. We think a lot of people think just like us Mm -hmm. and going away will will challenge you and push you and so i think that was probably the best part syracuse was a great place to grow up but my family instilled that like there was more to see in the world how did you come into your love for journalism Journalism started actually, I would say in high school. I mean, I always loved writing, creative writing when I was a kid. I said I was going to be a lot of things, including an artist, but I was the editor of my high school newspaper. And I think everyone has that first moment where you see your name in a byline or you see your name in print and you're like, that's me. It's really cool. So I was writing for the school newspaper and that drove me to say, okay, I want to be a journalist when I go to college. But when I got to college, they didn't have journalism as a major. So what did I do? Did what a lot of kids do. And that's kind of follow the crowd. And the crowd at my particular university often went to consulting firms and investment firms. Like that's what they did once they left school. So I didn't go off and become a journalist. I went and worked in private sector. Yeah, it's one of those things that I always wonder, like how would things be different if I'd started right out? But then again, every step of the journey has a purpose. So I eventually got back to it. So you've had some success, some would say hella success as a journalist. Can you give us some strategies to becoming an award-winning journalist like you if somebody was seeking it out? Thank you for hyping me up. Certainly appreciate it. I'm definitely at the beginning of my career. Grateful to NABJ for the Emerging Journalists Award. Really like the first big journalism award that I can claim. A lot of hard work went into it. But to emerge just means that you're coming into view. And so there are lots of people who I admire who do this. And have been doing it for a long time. And that's the other thing. It's like, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And it really does take dedication to the craft and experience and time, I think, to get really, really great. There are things that I'm learning every day. I make mistakes often. And the key is to be critical, to look at those mistakes and to grow from them. I have a habit of when I do a story, I send it to somebody. I'm I'm like, hey, what did you think of this? Do you have feedback? Do you have questions? And without a doubt, I always learn something. It's a fast-paced career. It's a fast-paced job. And you're kind of always under the gun to create content. But I think like the people who do well, they grow. They study their tape, so to speak, and they get better. And you have to like really do the work in order to grow in that way. So how to become a successful journalist, I think, is really about persistence. 
It's about curiosity. It's about challenging the status quo and not taking things for granted. And it's also about connecting to people. We're watching this Kavanaugh hearing with Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. The whole world is watching this like very intense hearing about sexual assault, politics. There's all these things. And what I thought was really fascinating was all these reporters were beating down the door of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford once her name went public, right? She didn't want her name to be public in this whole thing. She was turning people away left and right. The one reporter she spoke to earned her respect with compassion and she earned her trust. And like that to me says a lot about journalism. It's a people thing, not just about writing. It's also about like being able to connect with somebody so they feel comfortable enough to share their story. That's the part that I like the most. You're talking about having compassion, being able to connect with people. What are some tips that you would give to journalists to help them protect their personal brands and be able to connect with people while still being transparent, but not too transparent. Because I feel like you balance that very well. I feel like this generation more and more wants to know who their journalists are as people. There was a time when you just were expected to be very neutral, period. You're reading the teleprompter, you're reading your report and like, that's it. Mm -hmm. But these days people really do build a following because they're interested in like who that person is. Mm -hmm. Like, what are your values? Where'd you grow up? Who your family is? But I still think that there are journalists who just the reporting speaks for itself. They're constantly breaking stories. I'm thinking about Ronan Farrow, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who has done a lot of stories around the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And he's just like a solid investigator. He gets things that people aren't able to get on the record. So I don't think you necessarily have to show every side of like your personal life Mm -hmm. in order to get a following, to get respect or to do the job well. There's just different types of people. And for every hardcore serious journalist, I think of like the OG at Bradley, there's an Oprah who gets people to open up on the couch. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on who you want to be. I saw a recent post by you that I loved. You highlighted that you had a a rise or a surge in followers, but you said these are real organic followers. What was one of your keys to having and building your following? Because, you know, I've seen it when I first started following, I feel like you was probably at like 5K a couple months ago. Now it's like 10K and going to continue to rise because you're authentically who you are. But what do you feel like are some of the keys to you being who you are? Well, thanks for that question. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> you know, 10K ain't a lot compared to some people, but Honestly, it's like, right, exactly. It's just like, it's about focusing on what is your unique offering? And I say this for anybody, not just in journalism, but if you're going to have a voice, what are you uniquely saying that only you can say? Or maybe not only you, but you can do it in a special way. And people are going to know you for that thing. That's basically what a brand is. And so my hope is that the people who are following me see something in me and they're like, oh, she cares about people. She tells stories that matter. And she's relatable. So it's like, I can't be in that room. But when Natasha goes in that room, she's going to ask the questions that I would want to know. It's like, I'm your advocate. And that's why my hashtag is the people's journalist. I love that. And I saw you at the t-shirt. Yeah, I got the tees. You know what I'm saying? We're going to keep growing. <laughs> We're just getting started. But they called Ali the people's champion because he represented them. And that's really what I want to do. So yeah, I think being authentic is how you build. And I will say, I did try not buying followers, but I like hired a marketing company at one point. I'm like, what can I do to grow my following, to share my work? And they were like, okay, we can follow accounts for you. And eventually we unfollow them. And I was just like really uncomfortable with it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. eh, I don't want people to feel like 
I cared about them one second and then I'm like not invested in them anymore. So I canceled that. I was like, we're not going to do that. I think when my following really grew was when I went on The Breakfast Club. I went on The Breakfast Club and I talked about interviewing Omarosa, Mm -hmm. former Trump senior advisor. Great job, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. But telling the story of how I got that interview, how hard it was, I think people were like, wow, this is really cool. If I follow her, maybe I'll understand more of the behind the scenes. But also, this is just somebody who I'm invested in. So I saw my following grow through that, sharing a lot more of my work consistently. It's so funny. Sometimes you'll post something on IG and you're like, eh, nobody's going to care about this. And then that joke get like a thousand likes and you're like, oh, well, I'm glad I shared it. The lesson from that is don't try to be likable. Don't try to do what you think people are going to like. Because you just don't know all the time how they're going to react. Best thing you can do is be you. And you would be surprised what people get behind. You travel often. You are busy. Like, you are a hard-working journalist. And oftentimes, people, they get hit. Burnout happens. From New York to D.C., fast-paced, fast-paced, fast-paced. How do you stay motivated when things get tough or stuff is less than ideal? Because I know it's a lot of highs, but, you know, there's some lows that exist as well. So... You know, it's so funny you ask that question. I would say I haven't mastered this. This is the one thing that I have to just be completely honest about. I have workaholic tendencies. I don't always protect my personal time. And sometimes I choose work at the expense of my health. It's been pretty recent that I've started to draw boundaries and to say, okay, on this day, you are not touching that phone. You're not checking your emails. You are doing things that have nothing to do with work per se. But it's hard because I love what I do. So it's easy to be like, dang, what's the next story? That's the instinct. It's like, what's the next thing? The grass doesn't grow under my feet. That's a phrase that I heard used for someone else. And I was like, that's me. Grass doesn't grow under my feet because I don't like to stay in one place. I like to see the world. I just want to like live as fully as I can while I'm on earth. And I just feel like there's so many things to see and to experience and to share and to write about. And so I just, I want to maximize that. So I haven't figured it out is the answer to that. But I finally have accepted that it's important to have balance. And that's what I'm doing right now. You mentioned something. You say you love what you do. You worked in finance. Then education as a teacher. I got to see one of your throwback pics. I feel like I'm stalking you right now. No, no, no. I shared it on purpose. Right. And and you talked about, you know, it was crazy to be the teacher looking like one of the kids. So how did you go through this evolution and finally decide, you know what, journalism is where I want to be and where I want to spend my time at? Because I'm sure that check in finance was a lot different than that check as a teacher, which was a lot different from the check as a journalist. How did you decide and pivot I think what is funny is that every chapter of my life, I was looking at old emails the other day and I just could see, I was so excited each time I changed lanes. I was like, this is it. This is the thing that's going to make me happy for life. And I think some of that is just idealistic 20s, being in my 20s, fresh out of college, trying to figure it out and always trying to find the thing. I think what made journalism different was I feel uniquely gifted to do this work. Like, I feel uniquely that God has equipped me to be a storyteller, to be a voice, to be a connector of people. And the thing about the other jobs was I was doing that in certain aspects of the job, but that wasn't the function of the job. So in teaching, yeah, I was speaking. I was writing. I was connecting with people, but I was doing it within those four walls. What I like about the journalism is that there are no boundaries. 
I have access to the world. When I tell a story, it could reach anybody. And when I want to tell a story, I have a license to talk to whoever I want to. That is the best part about journalism. I literally can go up to any person and be like, I'm media, I'm doing a story. Can I ask you this question? Yeah. They may not answer, but I have a license to be curious. A license to ask. A license to ask questions. And that's powerful. That's pretty hot. You would be surprised how many people don't ask questions. They just exist within a space. And I promise you, the way I thought about the world before journalism and after was so different. Like, I remember, this seems like such a small, small story. I remember going to a restaurant. I was in journalism school, just started, and meeting with another journalist. She works at CBS. Her name is Adriana Diaz. And we were waiting. And there was some sort of delay or whatever. And my instinct was just to be really passive. I was like, oh, I wonder what's taking so long. And she was like, oh, I'm going to just go ask about this. She moved some things around. We sat down in like five minutes. I think that was a mindset thing. Like I really was more kind of passive and more like, oh, that's just the way things are. Versus a journalist mindset, you're like investigating what's going on. You're like, what is the situation? What is happening? What's the environment? You kind of are an advocate. You feel like you have a right. And I think that is important whether you do journalism or not to not just let things happen to you, to not just be passive in this world or just to be a spectator. But you have a right to ask questions. You have a right to know what's going on. And ultimately, you have a right to challenge things to be better, which is what I kind of hope that the work that I do does. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. What do you wish you knew before becoming a journalist? I wish I knew it could be this good. Like, there were a lot of people who warned me against going into journalism. Maybe not a lot, but there were some pretty strong voices that said, you won't make a lot of money. It's going to be miserable. The business is changing. They just saw it from a deficit. And for me, I'm doing a lot of things people said that I wouldn't be able to do or experience like this early in my career. So just once you see what is possible, you're like, okay, so really my wildest dreams are possible, but you got to get over that hump. And so I wish I knew that. I mean, I still pursued it despite those warnings, partly because I'm stubborn, but partly because I just had this vision. It was like, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. But yeah, things can be good as good as you imagine and like better. So what do you feel like was the biggest personal challenge that you needed to overcome in order to become who you are now? I would say learning to trust my own voice. You know how you are when you're at adolescence. You need validation for everything. Oh, I'm finna wear these sneakers. What y'all think about this? Insurance. Should we go to this party or should we go to that one? I was always asking, and I think it's good to utilize your resources and to get opinions actually to make informed decisions. But at a certain point, you got to make the decision. And sometimes when you agonize about something, you take away from the joy in the process. By the time you make the damn decision, you've agonized so much about it that you've created all of this exhaustion and negative energy. I think there's a piece about just being like, I made this decision and I'm going with it. Whether you're trying to choose where you're going to college, what club you want to join, what job you want to take, 
make that decision and own that decision. And then if you need to make a change, you can make a change. But some of it comes with time. You kind of are more confident. But I think that was the biggest thing. I had to learn to trust my own voice in a lot of ways. Speaking of trusting your own voice and asking for advice and for feedback, what does your peer group look like? My peer group consists of very diverse group of people, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people who were superstars in college, people who weren't superstars in college, people who I think believe in like excellence. So that part is pretty cool. But honestly, it's just who I grew up with and like who I've experienced life with. Not everybody is on the rat race tip. Not everybody's like trying to be on the Forbes list. They're just people that care about me that know me, who I can let my hair down with, and people that I trust. So those are the people who are in my like circle, my friendship group. I hope that gets at the question. Is that like what you wanted? To That's know? exactly what we wanted to know. Okay. We talked a lot about the positives and the ups. I'm curious, have you received negative feedback? How did you deal with it? Were you prepared for it when it happened, public or private? And how did you push through if you have encountered it? Oh, definitely encountered it. First of all, don't try to take on no public job if you don't want criticism because that's built in. And we're living in an age in journalism media where people comment back. That's a first. The journalists back in the day did not have hundreds of comments under each article. They may have gotten letters, but the speed and the ease at which people can comment with no accountability. The trolling is real. It is so real. There is no filter. So... To be clear, yes, one of my very first digital videos, I did a video about Amber Rose and consent and rape culture. And I guess people were like ripping me in the comments and my best friend texted me like, comments under your video are crazy. And I was like, really? I didn't even think to check. And you know, you feel a little sinking in your stomach at first. You're like, oh, right? Because who doesn't want to be liked? Who wants to be misunderstood? You don't want that. You want people to understand you. You just can't take it personally. If they don't know you personally, it ain't personal. They're looking at you as another product, another voice in a very noisy marketplace. I try not to take it personally. I do think some feedback helpful, though. I do think some criticism can be helpful, even if it's misplaced. Because a lot of people criticize and they don't even understand the full context. They haven't even read the entire thing you wrote. But there are times when a critical point of view can be helpful. I did a story about Andrew Gillum, who's running for governor in Florida. I had an Instagram commenter say, you know, not one question about the Latino community. She was upset. I asked questions about the Black community because I'm introducing this Black candidate to a national audience. She was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. So I had somebody criticizing me and they didn't even take that step or do the research to be like, oh, she's writing for a Black outlet. That's why the questions were about Black people. But she raised a really good point still in my mind because I'm like, yeah, what is his plan for the Latino community, which does include Black Latinos? And I'm going to ask him next time we talk. But I had to move away from a spirit of defensiveness, which I think was my first instinct to be receptive. And I asked her a question and it opened the dialogue. And then this is a person who ended up following me later and then telling me helpful information about the campaign, right? You can convert critics into fans if you remove ego out of the way and you listen before you react. And we have such a reactionary, petty social media culture yeah. that people miss opportunities to truly connect with other human beings because they're on their guard and they want to defend themselves more than they want to understand. And I want to ask you this. When she made that comment, was it public? It was public. And did you respond publicly or did you DM? 
I responded publicly. Very yeah. interesting. And that's another thing. I think the public nature of criticism makes it sting more. There was a time when I would be like, if you really care about me and you have a criticism, you're going to tell me one-to-one because you're not trying to embarrass me. But because we now live in this kind of social media culture, you just kind of build up a tolerance for the public conversation and criticism. Yeah. It just kind of comes with the territory. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Is there any career or hobby that you've always wanted to pursue? I'd probably be an actress. I could see that. I'm fairly dramatic. There's a similar instinct in journalism. I get bored easily. I don't like doing the same thing every day. And journalism allows me to see and experience hundreds of lives in a year's time. I'm seeing the world through different people's eyes. Acting, I think, is similar. And you put on these different characters and bring them to life. And you bring people joy. Or you make people feel things through your performance. I think it's similar. I did a little acting in college. High school, too. A little theater, you ready? A little something-something. It's a Gemini in me. So, Tasha, can you swim? Yes, I think all black people should be able to swim. Okay. I'm just asking because we about to jump into the dolphin tank. Oh, get out of here. So here you go. This is rapid-fire questions. You ready? I'm not, but I mean, I'm here, so let's go. What are your goal-setting methods, and how do you make sure that you are growing each year? I use an app a website called Landit. It is a career playbook that's geared towards women, but obviously anyone can download it, and Every week, I log my weekly accomplishments and keep track of my goals that way. What was holding you back from creating your best life? I am living my best life right now, so (laughs) nothing is holding me back. The only thing holding me back right now is the fact that I love to order out and I probably should eat healthier, but that's about it. Top tech that you're using to make your life run smoothly? I mean, my iPhone is probably the most obvious answer because it's with me all the time. Outside of that, my DSLR, I shoot video. I'm about to launch a YouTube channel. So everybody, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe if you're listening. Favorite quote or model that you live by? I have a bunch that are inspirational. I would probably say, you know, the greatest commandment is love. Favorite and most impactful book that you've read? I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Dr. Maya Angelou. Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create their best life? The fear is in your head. You have something that the world needs and you only get one life. So what's next for you? I'm just going to keep on telling these stories. And really the shift that you'll probably see in my brand, if you're paying attention to Natasha, the journalist, is just that I'm going to tell more of my own story. So I have some writing that I've done that will be coming out pretty soon. And yeah, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about the journey to get here. People are just being introduced to me as a journalist, but I live this whole life I had this whole journey before I even got to this chapter and um, hope it can be useful and helpful to somebody who's trying to figure out their life. I remember being in my 20s being like, damn, am I ever going to figure this out? And like, it feels so great to be on the other side. And I just want that for anybody. I want everybody to experience that. So yeah, that's what's next. And what's the best way for us to keep in contact with you? I am on Instagram at Natasha S. Alford. The S stands for Sonia, which is my grandmother's name. Shouts out to Granny. Right. My abuela. Natasha S. Alford on Twitter. And then on Facebook, it's Natasha S. Alford News. And now we've reached a point in the interview that's called the turnaround. And I'm actually kind of scared of you. This is where you become the interviewer and I become the interviewee. And I have to answer any three questions that you ask me. Oh, well, you have nothing to fear. I mean, don't be worried because I wasn't prepared for this. So I have one request. 
Please be gentle. I wish y'all could see your beloved podcast host right now. He's being so anxious for no reason. As if we don't talk, he's answered questions before. He's got this. Well, Kevin, I think the question I would ask you would be very similar. And it's just, in your life experience, what has been a motto or an approach that has served you well? A way of thinking, a philosophy that has worked out for you? Find a way or make one. There's a song... It's by Mac Dre. And I was playing it for a friend the other day. He's like, yo, if you with that BS, don't come around me. I do this for real, not for thrills. So, you know, if you say you're going to do it, if you're passionate about it, if you want it, go get it. Otherwise, shut up about it. When I want something, I'm all in. It's going to happen. It's like either it's going to happen or I'm going to die trying. You created this book, 10 Ways Anyone Can Graduate from College Debt-Free. Why did you invest so much time in doing something that was service-oriented? It's like a pretty selfless project to put together. Why did you feel like you needed to do that? Super selfless. Because I saw that student loan debt affects people, and it affects their lives. And me having stumbled into college and figuring out how to graduate college for free when my mentors and foster parents thought I was going to get kicked out my first week. I thought that for anybody who's coming in similar situation, doesn't know anything about college finance and has to figure it out, I thought that this would be a great blueprint or a way to help them. So it was really just about helping somebody else because I did it. It wasn't a concern and isn't a concern of mine. Like I've never gotten a phone call from a student loan lender. I think that I'm blessed, but others should be able to live with the same fortune. My last question for you, if you could change anything about the culture, what would you change? And when I say the culture, I'm not referring to any one ethnic group, any one race, but we often say for the culture. We talk about, well, the culture is like this, the culture is like that, whether it's picking up your phone as soon as you wake up out of bed or liking someone's photos seven times in a row so you can get in their DMs. What's something about culture and the way that we live now that you would change? I have a lot of answers to that. I think one big thing for me would be being present. I think that we should be more present. You can put down the phones and converse, and it's cool. And being able to be in a moment with somebody else, I think that matters a lot to me. I think that it also tells a lot about who you're around, because if you want to converse with that person more than you want to be on your phone, it tells you that you guys have a meeting of the minds. And I think that that's important. And I'm not talking about in a romantic way. I'm just talking about just peer group. So I think that is something that I would change about the culture. I sleep with my phone in airplane mode. If anybody tries to call me, usually before like 9 a.m., you won't get me. Even though I wake up at 5.30 in the morning, it allows me to stay present in my own thoughts and in my own routine. And I think that that's super important, not being living in response, but making the world bend to your schedule. So I think that is something that I would change about the culture. And I think for us as African-Americans, I know you said not about the culture, but for me, when I think of culture, I think of African-Americans because I feel like we create culture, a lot of it, and are very influential in it. I think that we fall for the okie doke sometimes and we get the wrong, we fall for the okie doke and we've gotten the wrong playbook. So in terms of trying to look like we have it versus having it and in terms of intelligence. A lot of times when you're growing up in lower economic communities, it's not cool to be smart, you know, and things like that. And I feel like that is a significant part of the culture that especially for African-Americans needs to be changed. And I say that as a kid who was always smart, but was always had behavioral issues. It's worked out to my advantage as an adult, but I would also say that there could have been a shift earlier. And I just so happened to get lucky enough to have a mentor who told me that I need to act as smart as I am and was really adamant about helping me to see the value in that. But so many times you see guys and young ladies straddling the fence and you straddle and you straddle and you straddle and then you fall off, but you either fall off to one side or the other. 
And so I just think that's an important shift that needs to happen in the culture. Expectation and exposure changes so much. So I think being exposed to things that are greater than what you can even imagine in the moment just puts you on a different trajectory. And I feel like that's something that's near and dear and that needs to be. And that's in terms of being in contact with people of different religious beliefs and you know races and from different parts of the country and this, that, and the other. I feel like that's one of the best things that helps me to be able to navigate the world as I travel the world. Going to Japan for 15 days and not speaking a language, being in South Africa, being in Australia, all of these places that I can immediately figure out how to connect with somebody. But it's because I've had this exposure and then there's this expectation. But without that, you're only comfortable in certain silos. A word. I want that for everybody. To be able to see see more of the world and then by default, see themselves. Yes, indeed. So, Tasha, I would like to say thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks. You heard that. That's from an award-winning journalist, <laughs> Natasha Sonia Alfred. She said it was great. So that means something. You are great. Oh, thank you. See, now you're going to make me tear up. Well, Create Your Life family, I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and rate and review us. This helps us build the community and building the community is what we are all about right now so that we can deliver as much value to you as possible. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.